This podcast is a Majestic Giraffe production. For more information and more content, visit MajesticGiraffe.com. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. are clean, the vaporizers are patched, and the speeders fueled. It's time to pick up some blue milk and power converters. You're listening to Toshi Station Radio, brought to you by the Majestic Giraffe Network. Now here are your hosts for the Snarkiest Podcast in Star Wars and Geek Culture, Brian and Nancy. Skirts of Anchorhead and on the shores of the Great Chot Flats, you're listening to Tashi Station Radio, the bright center in the universe for all things Star Wars and geek culture. I'm your host, Brian. With me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Nancy. Hi! On today's episode, we are very fortunate to have Alex Bracken on with us to talk about her newly released A New Hope retelling. So, uh... Sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. We are very excited to uh, get moving with this. Yes, through the wonders of time travel and recording splicing, uh, we just finished our interview with Alex and chatted for a very long time. I think that might have been the longest interview we had. That was far and away the longest (laughs) interview we've done. Uh, Because Alex is a Star Wars fan, and uh, we are all Star Wars fans, so So, you get Star Wars fans talking we never stop. As you know. I mean, we spent a good amount of time talking about the uh, princess, the scoundrel, and the farm boy. Yep. Um, but it was, this is a really big grab bag of Star Wars for you. Yes. Uh, so we think you're really going to like this interview. Before we go too much further, a uh, quick note from our sponsors. Tashi Station Radio is brought to you in part by our awesome Patreon subscribers. That's right. You uh, click the link on Tashi-Station.net for more details to learn how you can help support the show or just head straight to Patreon itself at patreon.com slash Tashi Station. We're also brought to you in part by Her Universe, Flaunt Your World with Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, Transformers, Doctor Who, another fandom-inspired wardrobe and jewelry. Click the link on our blog to purchase awesome geek gear and keep the lights running on the podcast. And um, also, a note before we start, uh, we do go into a little bit of spoilery te- territory for the book. Um, it, it's kind of hard to spoil. Yeah, because the, the spoils are, spoilers are very mild because this is a this is a, a retelling, retelling of A New Hope. But, you know, if you, if you want to read it for yourself and like, you know, we do talk about some of the stylistic choices and some of the new scenes she wrote. Um, so if you don't want to, you know, get spoiled on those, you know, come back after you've read the book. But And we, we are going to say absolutely we recommend going to pick this up. Yes, it's uh, a very, we, we very bought quick it, read. We bought it this morning. We were done with it by the end of the work day. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it, it was, it's really good. And we'll gush about it more. But especially if Leia is your favorite character, you have to get this book. Definitely. Okay, so we are going to cut over to our uh, interview we recorded with Alex Bracken earlier, and we will see you all on the other side. Bye! Hey, and we are here with Alex Bracken, the author of The Princess, The Scoundrel, and The Farm Boy. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're really glad to have you, um, because you are a Star Wars fan. Yes. (laughs) Like us. So, um, So... In your author's note, you had a really great story of how exactly you became a Star Wars fan, but that's 
the first question we asked to all of our guests is how did you become a Star Wars fan? So if you want to just tell that story a little bit here, we'd love to hear it. Sure. So I, I owe my love of Star Wars to my dad, Dan, who was a big Star Wars collector pretty much from the time I was in first grade, right up until he passed away a couple of years ago. So really, I mean, consistently throughout my whole life through like the ebb and flow of all of the new movies and everything, um, Star Wars has been a huge part of it. And he, I've been going to conventions since I was like maybe... Was, I think the first one I went to was in Arizona in like 1996. And I've only missed one domestic celebration. And it was because my dad had just recently passed away. So I basically became a Star Wars fan because my dad one day just decided that he was going to like, I should, I should preface this by saying my dad was like notorious for showing us movies before we were like age appropriate for them <laughs> which included he would always get to pick what movie we got to see on father's day for instance and he, one year we all went to go see the movie congo if you guys remember oh, that with like yes. the killer gorillas <laughs> we were i was maybe like five years old it was like not a good thing so he decided when i was really young that it was like time to initiate me into star wars and i had like no idea what was happening plot wise but i just remember being so terrified of Darth Vader when he came on screen right at the beginning and his cape was like sweeping out after him and just that like impression of being overwhelmed by emotion that's like stuck with me forever. And yeah, I mean, my mom, I think was the one responsible for him actually starting to collect Star Wars because she went on a trip to visit her family in Boston and she brought home a Gamorrean guard figure, one of the vintage figures from the seven, or I guess it would have been the eighties because it's a return of the Jedi figure. But, and she was like, Oh, remember when these were like $2 and I like bought you one on our first date, which is either the most romantic, or, <laughs> like the least romantic thing a new girlfriend could do. Um, but my dad actually told me that he took my mom to see return of the Jedi and he knew she was the one because she liked it. And like, su he, his words suffered through it with him, but um, but yeah, she like brought it home and then all of a sudden it like triggered something in him and he was like, this is what I want to do. And we just went to a zillion different antique stores. Basically we went to, he got us on like the new toy circuit where we would go to, um, Toys R Us, Walmart, Target every week to look for the new power of the force figures that were coming out that he needed. And then as he got older and as we got older, he sort of refined his taste to collecting just the vintage stuff and posters. So that is like my long introduction to how I became a Star Wars fan. That's a great story, though. I, I had a similar experience, but I was a lot older, but my dad realized I hadn't ever seen Star Wars. So he decided I had to watch it right then and there. But he wasn't a huge fan. It was just kind of like, how could you have never seen Star Wars? And I said, because you never showed it to me. So. Well, it's such a part of, I feel like, pop culture. I'm always surprised when I have a friend who's never seen Star Wars before, but they know everything about it just because it's entered into the cultural vernacular, I guess. Yeah. And so everyone kind of knows the story and knows the characters and who they are, but... It's yeah. worth it to sit down and watch it. It's like my favorite thing in the world to sit down with someone who's never seen Star Wars before and like watch it with them and like comment on what's going on. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we must be either the best or most annoying person people like watch <laughs> Star Wars with because we're like, did you know? <laughs> I actually had a friend in high school when the special editions came out who hadn't seen them 
And so I made her go with me to all of them. And she didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's father. And it was the greatest thing. I told everyone in school they weren't allowed to tell her because I wanted the reaction. That's amazing. What was her reaction like? Um, She gasped. And then she looked at me and went, he's lying. That's not true. That's (laughs) impossible. Yeah. yeah, She she had Luke's exact reaction on that screen. Pretty much. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, Wired article of the... uh, of the uh, Wired writer who has no knowledge of Star Wars watching the original trilogy for the first time. No. Oh, oh yeah. go go seek it out. It's great. Um, she, she really has no idea of any of the details about Star Wars and watched A New Hope last week. And I believe this week she's documenting her uh, experience with Empire. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My coworker hasn't seen any of them, and I told her I want her to go see The Force Awakens blind. I told her, don't go see anything. Just go see it and tell me what you think. It's like a social experiment. Yeah, I really, I almost, like, I almost wonder what that would be like. Like, don't you occasionally feel jealous of people who have never seen Star Wars before and get to, like, experience that for the first time and have that, like, new happy feeling in their hearts, but... If I could yeah. time travel back to any time, it would be <laughs> to see Empire Strikes Back with everyone. <laughs> I know. And like, it was so lucky before the age of the internet, I feel like your only chance of being spoiled was from other people or I guess through film reviews in the mm-hmm. newspaper and in magazines. But the internet, it would have been all over that first midnight, basically. Yeah. So... Also, in the author's note, I caught my attention that you said that you, for a period of time, all you wanted to read was Star Wars books, because (laughs) I, I had that period. I know Brian had that period of time. So we were just curious as to what were some of your favorite books when you were a kid? And then are, you know, which are they the same ones now? Or do you have other ones that you keep kind of wanting to go back to and read? So. Oh my gosh. So yeah, between ages of like eight to 12, I was obsessed with reading everything Star Wars. Like anytime my dad brought home a new book, I would steal it basically. (laughs) Um, But I was, my first real book obsession, even before I feel like Harry Potter was Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Mesta's um, Young Jedi Knight series. Mm -hmm. So that was like the, I was the target age group for that, but it was about the solo kids and they were at the Jedi Academy and it was just like their adventures. And then those characters ended up becoming part of the new Jedi order series. And so I was so excited to later like dig into the new Jedi order. And then little did I know that series was all sadness. <laughs> yep. Everything, That's really everything one way awful to describe that to series. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, it was so sad. Yeah. But I also had like a really soft spot in my heart for the shadows of the empire book by Steve Perry and I know like people have mixed feelings about that book but it's interesting to me now as an adult and having worked in publishing for a couple of years to see that that was like a whole actual program like I knew there was a book and I knew there was um I knew there was the video game because I loved it and then I was like oh yeah and they had a soundtrack it was crazy um but yeah I love the Franz trilogy that's a series that I really want to go back and reread because I've read it when I was so young that I feel like I don't remember half of what happens in it I just like remember that impression of being so into those books and absolutely like dying for the last one to come out yeah I've read that I've read that series a bunch of times and it's funny how 
I go back and reread it and I there's stuff I didn't catch beforehand. And I'm like, I've read these books maybe five times and I'm still getting things out of them that I didn't beforehand. Oh, so that's they're good really to, Yeah, that's good to know. I'm always like afraid I like am not misremembering, but I'm like building something up in my mind and I'm yeah. like afraid to go back and see if it actually was as good as I remember. But I think I will dig into those. Yeah. Our dog's names are Mara and Jade, so we are Aww. attached. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and because my entry point into the expanded universe, now Star Wars Legends, was the Young Jedi Knight series, I feel like my first round of reading all of these books was spent with me looking for the solo kids and, <laughs> the books and like skipping over all of the boring adult parts. <laughs> so I am like due for a good reread, I think, on a lot of these books. <laughs> So you, you've mentioned that A New Hope was the movie that got you interested in storytelling. Did you know at that point you wanted to be an author or did the interest develop as you got older? I can like pinpoint the exact moment I knew I wanted to be a writer and actually specifically a writer for kids. It's when I was in third grade. Um, our teacher had us put together these like, she would have us do like creative writing units and we would write our own book, which was basically paper, paper stapled together, <laughs> cardboard or contact paper over cardboard for the cover. And I just was so obsessed with reading at that age. And I loved Roald Dahl so much that I was like, if reading is this fun, surely writing must be this fun. <laughs> so I was like, I, that was when I first started to sort of pay more attention, like pay closer attention to what I was reading. And at that point, you have no idea how hard it is to actually be an author and to yeah. be published. So it's like all fantasy. And then as I got older and I started to, I feel like when you watch Star Wars at different points in your life, you're picking out different aspects of it and kind of focusing on them. And so when I was younger, I was so focused on this, the plot itself. And then as I got older, I was looking at the characters and I was looking at more of the thematic stuff and so Star Wars is such a perfect representation of the traditional hero's journey. And I think it ended up teaching me a lot about how to structure stories and about it's definitely predisposed me or I've ever since then, I've always loved stories and writing stories that feature like a good, strong found family as the central central cast. So it's, I feel like a lot of my taste as a reader and a writer has also come from Star Wars yeah. as weird as it is to say, but it wasn't like a conscious thing initially where I was like actively picking apart the story, but just following and tracing the lines of the story kind of taught me a lot about writing. I guess that's weird to say. I'm not doing a good job of articulating this. No, but. no, it's good. And then because I wrote so much Star Wars fan fiction, <laughs> I like that also really actually taught me a lot about writing because it's fan fiction is a great way to work on honing your voice and kind of play around in a world that pre-exists and it's sort of like a safe playing space is what I always say but um yeah Brian and I are smiling at each other because that's how we met for was through writing Star Wars fan fiction seriously <laughs> yeah did you guys are that's amazing. Did you write through fanfiction.net or were you on another site? Uh, TFN primarily, but we also po cross-posted stuff over at fanfiction.net. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, we, we've written uh, several. <laughs> so, no, it actually, I actually really love when I see, like, other authors have written fanfic. I know Claudia Gray wrote, used to write, I think she wrote some, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good to hear 
authors who don't look down on it or say, oh, don't waste your time with fan fiction. Because it's like, well, there are authors who say they have five books trunked before they get something published. So if you're writing something, it's just practice. So why not? And you know what? Honestly, there was a point in high school and later even in college where I felt like I was actually reading more fan fiction than I was like uh-huh. novels because it's easier. I don't know, for some reason, the way that good fan fiction is constructed by like chapter and how it's not, you can't have it all at once. It just was like easier to consume those stories in like yeah. bite-sized portions. Um, and they're fun. And sometimes fan fiction is really, really good. Yes. And it like... So I I will never look down on fan fiction, but I will also <laughs> never reveal any of my fan fiction. <laughs> I, I swear, it's like it's all still on fanfiction.net because I cannot log into that account and delete it. Like I can't disable the account. Oh, that's... I have to be so careful about what I say because I feel yeah. like I've had people try to like, well, you said you also wrote Sailor Moon fan fiction. So they're like searching Star Wars and Sailor Moon. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. I'm like, and it's, I'm not ashamed of the fact I wrote fan fiction, but a lot of this is from when I was like 12, 13, 14, yeah. 15. Yeah, so I, I really not- wish I could scrub some of my early <laughs> stuff off the web. <laughs> See, that makes me glad I didn't start writing it until I was a lot older. So although it's bad, it's not 12 yeah. year old bad. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm like, Without revealing too much, I feel like one of them was literally just Princess Leia going through Padme's wardrobe. Like, that <laughs> was no plot. It was just so I could describe clothing. <laughs> that was it. Oh. Oh, that reminds me of one time there was a panel with Aaron Alston at Dragon Con, and he said he was jealous of fan fiction writers because sometimes all he wanted to do was just write about Luke and Mara going shopping. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I yelled out, I think I wrote that once. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That would be amazing. Oh, my gosh. I, like, I keep saying I'm so sad that, like, Mara is gone because they've kind of not retired the expanded universe. But that's, yeah. like, not the right phrasing because she still exists. She's still out there. Her stories didn't get scrubbed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so sad. I was secretly hoping they would find a way to actually, like, save her character and somehow bring her. I have hope. I have hope. I mean, wouldn't it be so cool? I feel like it would be such an amazing project to, like, go back and have her, like, beginnings. Yeah. And her origin story. And you wouldn't necessarily run into the issue of, like, needing to cast a new young Mark yeah. Hamill. You can <laughs> him from a distance. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir here. I know. I yeah. like, you are my people. You understand. We are. I mean. We are. He's <laughs> like, please, let me write this book <laughs> It's like, I will write anything about any of the ladies. Just give it to me. Uh, yes. Tom, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of the things I that really struck me about the Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy was that the introduction read a lot like the introduction to the A New Hope novelization. And I was wondering if that was a deliberate on your part or was it just happenstance that it kind of came out that way? It was very deliberate because I wanted to originally, like when I was conceptualizing how I was going to lay out this story, all of the, so the story for people who don't know is split between Leia's point of view, Han's point of view, and Luke's point of view. It's a close third person. It's not first person because I don't think I could pull that off. But 
Um, but I wanted to have that like grand epic voice be present in the story because when you watch Star Wars, that's a part of it. It's just, you're watching something that feels epic and is on a huge grand scale. And it, it was almost like Obi-Wan was narrating those mm-hmm. tidbits and I wanted to insert it between each of the character se- sections. But then as I was editing it, I was like, this isn't really necessary. It's just kind of slowing down the flow of the story. But yeah, it was very much intentional. I feel like a lot of readers have caught on to the fact that I was a little naughty, I would say, in including tidbits from past Expanded Universe books. I sort of wanted to do what the Star Wars author authors had done before me and build on this established universe that I feel like these authors have all like kind of created together. So, And I didn't want to like discount this material if I could still use it in some way and kind of bring it forward into the new canon. I... I'm not 100% sure our books are considered, you know, like 100% pristine right. canon, but they're, I think they're kind of canon until proven otherwise, unless our artistic flair has somehow <laughs> messed things up. But um, yeah, that was very intentional. I kind of wanted to, to um, use a little bit of the Journal of the Wills. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's like the a adventures of Luke Wars. Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I could, yeah, so that was intentional. It wasn't, um, it wasn't me trying to be sneaky. And <laughs> no, I, I really, I really appreciated that. And so you mentioned this before and wanted to know, how did you decide to structure the novel the way it was? Cause I think it's, it's really cool that it's, that it's a different character, you know, for each section. Um, and then, so how did you decide to structure it that way? And then also like which character got which part? I mean, I guess it kind of fits in naturally, you know, cause Leia has a big part in the beginning and Luke obviously destroys the Death Star at the end. Yeah. So this, I pitched, I actually said when I was approached to do this retelling in return, I sent my editor, Mike, two options of how I could do it. Um, and we went with the slightly more conservative option, I will say. Um, so with this, I pitched it to him as being sort of like the Star Wars Breakfast Club, where I <laughs> wanted to like really look at the idea of labels because, I mean, the characters are, especially I think in the first film, kind of types. Do you know what I mean? Like they are. Yeah. Um, they definitely fit a specific mold. And I think each character is actually more than that. But you don't really get to examine and really delve deep into their characterizations until the second and the third films when they're really kind of tested in a different way. So, and I knew I've really wanted to give a little bit more to Leia to do, I guess. And really, I feel like of all of the three main characters of the golden trio, she definitely gets the less screen, the least amount of screen time and kind of the least amount of character consideration within the film. You just don't necessarily understand why she's reacting to the situation, the different situations, the way that she is. Like you don't understand why she just sort of like flinches and looks away when she sees her planet get destroyed. She's not crying or anything like that. So I really like writing character driven stories just in my original work. So I, I, kind of wanted to delve in deep. And then in splitting up the story, you're right, it was actually kind of a natural thing to open with Leia and then to move into Han's section and then to finish with Luke because he's 
I was going to say he's alone in the X-Wing cockpit at the end, but I'm like, I guess the spirit of Obi-Wan is with him. <laughs> yeah. And R2's there too. Um, but one of the, one of the initial problems that I had in figuring out how the story was going to shake out was how to include all of the material where Luke is meeting Obi-Wan for the first time. And you get kind of like a lot of information dumped on you about Luke's father and the lightsaber and the Jedi Knights. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be really fun and kind of interesting to introduce all of this material through like Han's skeptic point of view and to kind of show why Han warms up to Luke so much. He kind of wants to take him under his wing because he feels like Luke is basically being scammed by this old crazy person he found in the desert. <laughs> um, and so it was like really interesting to play with the idea of these labels of like Leia being dismissed as just being a princess when she wants to be so much more. Um, and Han, you know, thinking that he kind of lets the world think, think he's a scoundrel and he lets himself think he's a scoundrel when actually he like wants to be more than that, so on and so forth. So it was really fun. It was just, um, I also knew that this book would be setting up the other two books in a certain way. They, yeah. they don't really tie into each other. They're very different. But I, if it's the, I think the idea behind these retellings were to, reach that audience of more casual Star Wars fans or fans who maybe had seen the movie once or twice, but haven't really been indoctrinated into our wonderful fandom. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I knew if they were going to start with my book that I wanted them to have the best understanding of these characters as they could before jumping into um, Adam's retelling of Empire Strikes Back and Tom's retelling of Return of the Jedi. Cool. And I think this book also works really well as a nice bridge for younger fans um who have their star wars is essentially the clone wars and rebels this is a this is a great stepping stone to get them forward in the timeline a bit yeah and it's especially great because obviously han and luke and leia are going to be a part of the force awakens so it's like i think it'll be really nice i hope that kids dig it i've been like really enjoying getting feedback from kids especially to see if they actually like it. Aww. Yeah. So um, what, were, what were your instructions or your interactions like with uh, the story group? Or were there any particular guidelines they gave you in writing this novel? Um, okay. Can I even tell you? The story group is amazing. I feel <laughs> like they are somewhat shrouded in secrecy, which might be for like their own protection. So I like won't go into too much detail, but they are like the coolest people. I do not mean this in like a disrespectful way at all, but you would sort of imagine people who have to like have so much information about Star Wars in their head and really live and breathe it every single day. They might not like be the most, you know, like socially adaptable people. They're totally normal. They have families. They're really great, funny, smart people. Um, And so working with them was a total joy. And I actually had the privilege of going to the Lucasfilm office pretty much shortly after I started working on the project and I got to meet them and they wanted to know if I had any questions. And they were the ones who, up until that point, I was kind of telling them I felt like I was being too precious with Star Wars. I didn't really want to change anything. Whereas we had been told, like, you can kind of do what you want to do with the story itself and you can, like, make little alterations if they suit you. And they suit the story that you're trying to tell. And we will rein you back in if we feel like it's going to contradict something in the future or if it's just wrong and does not work. Um, so 
they were like, just have fun with it. That's what they kept saying to me. And they're like, just have fun with it. I'm like, I can't have fun with it. I'm so stressed. <laughs> like, it's like, it job. like literally drinking a glass of wine before I sat down to write every single day. Like, <laughs> um, and then like, after I talked to them, I felt like I could relax a little bit. And so they were like, very good about that. And they were the ones who, if you've read the book, Han's section opens with him in the cantina and Moss Eisley. He has a girl in his lap named Jenny. And that was actually a suggestion from the story group because in the original script, I guess Han was introduced with a girl in his lap. And I kind of liked the idea that Han was the kind of person who had like a girl in every spaceport (laughs) and like wasn't necessarily great at remembering their names. And that was like his central scoundrel quality. Um, But yeah, they, and they offered like a bunch of fun little tidbits. We like to tell the story about how I think it was Adam when he and Tom went to go meet with the story group a little bit earlier than I did. He was like, oh, I'm like wondering, I want Yoda to tell Luke kind of like a Jedi fable that I'm writing, but I'm, this is such a random question, but do chickens exist in the Star Wars universe? (laughs) And so Pablo, one of the story group members, kind of like sits back and I feel like he like probably went into his mind. He kind of like combed the archives. He was like, yes. 11 and everyone was like 11 what it's like there are 11 chickens called for in the return of the jedi script <laughs> that's like amazing and he's like and then he continues like oh in theory God. there are also falcons if there are also if like the ship is named the millennium falcon there mm-hmm. must also be falcons in this universe so that's like the level of detail that they know and they definitely were great about when i was trying to do something with the character they would be like oh well, like, have you considered this too? Or I like this, but like, maybe you can tweak it a little bit. So it aligns with this. Like they're great. And we really, I mean, our main guideline was to have fun. And then we felt like we were in good hands because obviously we didn't want to contradict anything going forward. And that's why I could not include a lot of Han's backstory. Like I, I got like a little note, a track change in the document when I got my edits back and it was like, we were going to need to cut these lines about like how Han met Chewie. And I was like, I was talking to my editor afterwards and I was like, why, like, why can't I use this material? Cause I'd kind of up to that point gotten away with using some of the other expanded universe material. And he was like, well, maybe we will be getting that information in a different format. (laughs) (laughs) There, I mean, it's like Pentagon level of secrecy over at Lucasfilm when it comes to the new films. Um, that was basically my indication that they were going to do a young Han Solo film at some yeah, point. That's kind of cool. That's cool. I know. Um, so it was like that. That's literally the only information I got about the Force Awakens. <laughs> I was the evil little troll who, when we would go out to dinner, when I was at that visit, I'd be like, so what did you think of it? Like, how did reading the script make you feel in your heart? Like, trying to get like, any <laughs> ounce of information from them. And they were like, please don't ask us. We're going to get fired. Yeah. I, I, I don't even, I don't want to know. So I'm like, la, 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 don't know. And since then, I've gotten to that point where I'm like, actually, I really don't want to know anything. Like, I'll watch the trailers to have a sense of what the story is. But I kind of want to, like, go in and have that experience and just, yeah. like, live in the moment. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was really cool was that even though we've all seen A New Hope, you know, hundreds of times, probably, it still seemed really fresh in your your retelling of it. And I was wondering how you how you go about 
trying to accomplish that. And one of the things I thought of as an analogy was kind of it's like how, you know, and you talked about fan fiction before, so it kind of fits, is that how fanfic writers will retell a story from a different character's perspective or something like that. And it seems like a completely different story. That's kind of how I felt when I was reading it. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments where I'm like, I feel like I'm writing Star Wars fan (laughs) (laughs) And getting paid for it. getting paid. And, like, actually having, like, I have documents on my computer that's, like, basically the encyclopedia of how – it's, like, the style guide for Star Wars. It's, like, the most incredible thing to read through. That's awesome. Um, I was like, wow, this is, like, legit. Like, every once in a while it would, like, hit me that it was, like, a real thing that was happening to me. (laughs) Um, Most of the time I just – was in like a state of panic about doing an okay job and not disappointing people. But you're right. That was like the big challenge. And so the other, um, the other proposal that I sent to my editor, I was like, well, I want to be like really original and feel really fresh and present the story in a completely different way. And that was like, I had suggested, um, retelling a new hope from as sort of like found documents from the imperial officer who had the unfortunate task of like piecing together the official report on what had happened with the first Death Star explosion. That's really cool. <laughs> I know. I like. I kind of hope I can do it one day, but I think it, that would be much harder. I think to convey like who these characters are, but I think it would be a fun thing to do, especially if you get, could get the illustrator on board. Yeah. Um. But I think with. This, it really boiled down to, well, if I'm going to basically use the scenes from the movie, I also want to be able to include scenes that are off camera that you don't get to see. And I really want to, like, tease out certain elements of their past and tease out elements of their character and sort of explain the reactions that we're getting on screen. So when we decided to go with the Star Wars Breakfast Club um, idea, my editor suggested adapting from the New Hope radio drama, which I guess has since been re-released and is more widely available now, which is awesome. Yeah, It's really worth a listen. It's kind of fascinating. And Mark Hamill does the voice of Luke and it's just like kind of awesome to listen to him again. Um, But so with some of the off-camera scenes, I felt like it was important to me having grown up with the radio drama to use certain scenes that Brian Daly did because they, for me, were canon So in the instances I could, I like, it's more like adapting scene beats rather than the scenes themselves, because a lot of the technology in the radio drama is like really out of date. Like I was just talking to someone recently about how the Death Star plans are stored on data tapes. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't think a current audience of eight to 12 year olds will know what data tapes are. So, um, and things like that. And like, certain instances where Han maybe felt a little more sexist than necessary, like kind of, (laughs) or if I really disagreed with the direction that he was going in with that scene or needed to shorten it or make it more appropriate for the readership. Um, But it was like a privilege to be able to adapt from that material with sort of the same um, weight as the script itself. And then kind of peppering it with all of these like, accumulated facts about these characters in this universe and sort of putting a fresh spin on it by really teasing out the voice of each character. So yeah, it was like a big melting pot. You can tell I was kind of a wreck while I was working on this. (laughs) I know. I wish I could articulate this process a little bit better. I got to like work on my pitch a bit, but (laughs) 
I was just like, so many goals, so many. <laughs> get it all in. No one's going to stop me. So we absolutely loved uh, the first part, which was the section with Leia. And for my money, it's one of, if not the best, uh, portrayals of Leia on page that we've seen like, in Star Wars I, literature. I mean, like, smelling salts. <laughs> The nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, literally. Uh, <laughs> Thank s- you. Seriously, uh, if someone were to offer you a Leia book, we would do backflips at yes. this point. Please oh. make it happen. If someone were to offer me a Leia book, I think I would, like, implode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what yeah. qualities did you really want to play up in Leia that might get overlooked by the audience? So I felt like... The thing about having a strong female character is that now more and more it's being recognized that that term really shouldn't necessarily mean like a kick butt action girl, but like a well-rounded female and a well-rounded female character who experiences um, disappointments and failures and like doesn't necessarily win every single time. And so I wanted to show Leia having moments of um, self-doubt, having moments where she feels like she's failing everyone, um, but to also show that her she's a really exceptionally driven person, and you kind of would have to be if you want to be a senator at that age. You have to be very well-spoken. You have to have a fire in you. You have to be well-trained, and it just was really fun to try to piece together all of these elements of her character and show that what Leia wants to like really pinpoint that what Leia wants is to make a difference. And she thinks that she will make more of a difference in the Senate than she will as a princess. So she's really driven to get to that point. Then she realizes that the Senate is basically full of people who aren't going to do anything. And she's doing battle with the hollow net reporters who basically, I call it the Kate Middleton effect, where they're more interested in the fact that she is a princess and wanting to know like what she's wearing and not like what cause she's representing or what point she's trying to argue. So I feel like Leia is someone who is very driven and has a fire in her heart, and she is someone who kind of creates her own destiny, but she's frustrated again and again by not being able to get enough done and kind of doubting that she ever will get to that point. And I think... That's one of the reasons why, at least in my adaptation, she's really driven to join the Rebel Alliance and she wants, she so badly wants to prove herself to them so she can get to the point of being like within the established ranks of their leadership. And they obviously love her as we find out at the end of A New Hope and they were like horrified about what happened to Alderaan, but I kind of wanted her to have those moments of like, oh, I failed I failed this way. I let all of these people on the ship that trusted me die, basically, get killed by the stormtroopers who board with Darth Vader. Um, but I wanted to show her, like, not backing down, which is why I got to write that original scene with her trying to escape. Yeah. Um, spoiler. <laughs> um, and then at the end, her resolve that even though she's lost everything and she's lost her title as a princess, basically, she wonders, like, are you still a princess if your planet and people are completely wiped out? She's no longer a senator. She's really kind of stripped down just to Leia at her core. She has to, like, figure out what she's going to do going forward. And I think she's, like, she's such an interesting character, and she's someone who I just, like, want to read so many stories about. And I'm, like, very hopeful that 
they will continue to just keep, Lucasfilm will continue to just keep producing material about Leia because I think there's endless possibilities. And I do think that young Princess Leia stories are probably going to be pretty interesting. Even if it's just like palace life and her training, like that is eternally fascinating in my opinion. So I agree. I want, I want a young Senator Leia story so badly. I've wanted it for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know. I was like, I don't care. I would love to write it, but I would love for basically anyone to write it at this point. (laughs) justice. Um, So Yeah. yeah, hopefully fingers crossed. I really loved writing that Leia section. But she was someone who I feel very protective of as a character and to the point that I had read like a little part of Adam Gidwitz's um, Empire Strikes Back retelling called So You Want to Be a Jedi. There was like a scene. I just like picked up a random page from like a printout of it. And I was like, Adam, I just found a mistake. And he's like, what? It's like, her hair isn't like this when she's on. (laughs) Like, this is not. He was like, well. Yeah, it's like that in Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, no, when she gets to Bespin, she does her hair fancy like this, but she has a battle braid basically in. For, and like, he was like, oh my God, you need to take a step back. <laughs> so I feel protective of Leia on all levels. I'm like, crazy Leia girl. <laughs> and one of the things I liked about her so much was that she, it just seemed like she just wanted to be respected. And I think that's something that a lot of young girls who read this book can, can, sympathize with because you know so many times people you know criticize things young girls like or they just think they're silly or whatever and I think it's really cool to have a character like Leia that you know girls can look up to and guys too you know to see a a strong character like that yeah I really feel like um I'm the person I am today because I had that very strong that was so rare I feel like in the seventies and eighties to get such a strong amazing central female character um in a major motion picture and it's gotten a little better since then, but that was such like a crucial part of my psyche development. I feel like having Princess Leia there and reading about her and kind of like imagining what her life was like, yeah and you mentioned it before a little bit before, but the scene when she's, you know, she's captive and she tries to escape. I really loved that you included that. And especially the line, Leia knew she was caught, but she wasn't about to be a captive because it just shows so much agency, even when she's supposed to be the damsel in distress. Yeah. I mean, Leia definitely saves herself from her own rescue. Like she yeah. rescues herself from her own rescue, basically. Um And she's the one I really wanted to show that she had gotten some kind of self-defense training, which I'm assuming people in positions of power, even Kate Middleton probably has some basic self-defense training in the event of something happening. Um, But also to show that she is an observer too. And she's like constantly paying attention to her surroundings and like trying to figure out like if something were to happen, then it can get out this way. And that's how she knew to shoot out the, garbage shoot basically that she saw that and the guys had completely missed that so go Leia (laughs) so moving on to the Han section I'll say I'll I will do a disclaimer that Han is not my favorite character but I really loved that you gave him a lot of heart um because it's so easy to you know think of him as the scoundrel but um 
I and especially love the conversation with Luke on the Falcon where he goes from like mocking him to then feeling sorry for him because, you know, he meant he brought up something about his parents or his whatever and he said, "Oh, now now he feels like the worst person in the universe." And I yeah. thought it says a lot about him that he, you know, felt so badly about hurting this kid's feelings who he had just met basically. Yeah, I really, I feel like one of my goals, especially with Luke, was to kind of, like, tease out his innocence and not necessarily, like, make him see, like, go- seem, like, gosh, golly, gee, yeah. kind of innocence. <laughs> but, like, the fact that he is, like, really, as Han says, fresh off the moisture farm, like, he doesn't really understand the way of the universe. And I think, like, Han sees him as someone who could easily be taken advantage of. And while Han will take advantage of people when he needs to, he like doesn't want to see it happen to someone like Luke, who honestly is like kind of an easy target for it in his opinion. Mm -hmm. And I really like the contrast between like Han being sort of world weary and Luke being like so excited and so interested in everything in that kind of dynamic where Luke is constantly making fun of the Falcon and Han is like, Oh my God, if he says it one more time, I'm going to kill him kind of thing. Um, But Han's section was actually, I think the easiest of the three for me to write because he has such a strong voice. And I'm not sure I realized that until I started writing it. Just like he's very like casual and kind of like draws you in and kind of like um, he has, I think of all of the characters, he almost serves as the best comic relief in like tense situations. Like he's very, he has a very dry wit and is very sarcastic. And so like, I felt like his section is so tense, but I could break it up with his humor. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised you don't like Han. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> it's so rare to meet someone I'm who doesn't a, like Han. I'm a Luke girl. <laughs> oh, see, I loved Luke when I was younger. And then as I've gotten older, Han just interests me more because I think yeah. he exists in sort of gray areas. But I still have like such a soft spot for Luke because Luke is someone who is like <laughs> such a big dang hero he is someone who like you would want to be like in that position to save and i'll and i will say like i i always joke with my friends that you know she loves luke or she loves han and i love luke and we'll like joke with each other that we hate the other but i i i I admit it i said i do like han i just don't like him as much as luke (laughs) no i'm i'm actually really curious to see what han's role is in the new in the new films. I know we're not, we won't get into it, but I'm like a little worried. <laughs> to say yes, the least. I was like, my like writer brain likes to piece together like very separate pieces of information. And I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yeah. Um, I'm a little nervous, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I think like Han is someone who definitely, I've always felt like he's a scoundrel with a heart of gold. Like he really is a softie. And so in this, I wanted like Chewie to serve as his like the angel on his shoulder. Yeah, sort of I really being, like the voice that. Of yeah, because I think their dynamic is so interesting and so great, and it's like such a fun partnership and friendship between them. And it's, so. act- it's actually kind of cool because I'm in the middle of reading uh, Smuggler's Run by Greg Rucker right now as well, and it's kind of it it they have it's a very similar Han and Chewie dynamic where Chewie's trying to get him to do everything for the rebellion, and Han's still like. No, don't want to. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I will tell you, I tapped out of the new Jedi Order the minute that happened to Chewie. I was like, <laughs> you just killed the angel of the Star Wars series, so no. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I tapped out pretty early, as you can tell, but I like sort of dipped back in every once in a while and was like, nope, sadness, sadness and darkness. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really love Chewy. I like, I, they just, re- they've been, there's like a Chewy comic series now, right? Yeah. Like out. I gotta, or it's coming gotta, out soon. Yeah. I gotta catch up on all of the recent Marvel releases. I've, I feel like I've been just deadline to deadline to deadlines. I haven't even read Lost Stars yet by Claudia Gray. I gotta like, that's next on my to read list. I'm about halfway through. You're really gonna enjoy it. It's really good. I said, I said, and I don't mean this derogatory, it's fanfic, basically. It's everything I loved about reading fanfic, but in a official book. Well, I kind of love all of these like 30 and 40 and 50 year old dudes who are like, I mean, yes, labeled YA. That's what I said. I will. I see. I've seen so many people on Twitter talking about how much they love Lost Stars. And I, I tweeted something snarky the other day. I said, if only all the guys who loved Lost Stars would read other books that are labeled YA and not care about it. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm I'm really excited to dig in. And I'm like, so happy that that book is getting so many amazing reviews. And like, I, I, I guess this is like, partially unintentionally tooting my own horn, but I feel like they've done a good job with picking writers who are also Star Wars fans and who care about it very deeply. And I mean, it's, I guess it's always been that way, but these are, yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? I feel like it's, they've done a good job in kind of scouting out who they want to be, who they want to have as writers and everyone has a different perspective, but I don't know. Yeah. They found really diverse and good stewards of Star Wars, yourself included, yeah. to uh And I always say they here. need more they need more female writers, so I you I'm know glad. I I mean I will say like one of the I think most touching things that's been happening at these events that we've been going to, like Comic Con and speaking on different panels at library conferences and educator conferences. I've had so many young dads and grandfathers come up to me and be like oh, I'm, like, sharing Star Wars with my daughter. Like, I'm so excited they, like, picked a woman to write one of these books. I had one guy come up to me after our Comic-Con panel, and he was like, like, so how did your dad get you to, like, Star Wars? Like, he wanted a step-by-step process (laughs) of how my dad got you to, like, Star Wars. Well, I kind of just liked it, and I liked that it was, like, a huge kind of part of my life. It was a daily thing, and, like, I also liked it because my dad liked it so much, and I, like, wanted to like what my dad liked, so I don't think I helped him that much, but he was like, I don't know, my daughter's, like, eight. I feel like I haven't done it yet, and it's never going to happen. I was like, give her time. She's eight years old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I we get that Brian and I get that a lot when we are purchasing Star Wars stuff. I think people assume it's Brian's, and I'm like, yeah, nope. I I most of the stuff is mine. <laughs> Haven't you loved? I feel like all of the recent advertising for the new Force Awakens stuff and all of the new toys from like Walmart and um, Target. They've been so yes, gendered, which is it great. Was not, it's, it was not that way when I was younger and all of it the wasn't new- that way a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, suddenly someone somewhere woke up. I don't know if it's like coming from Disney or if it's coming from the retailers themselves, but it's been like so awesome. Yeah. I love the Walmart commercial where it's like they're doing the Ewok victory dance because yes. she's like so excited to have the toy. Yeah. But when I was younger, I did feel so self-conscious that I liked something that was like traditionally a boy thing. Me too. Uh, yeah. I know. And I was like, leave me alone. Leave me to my fandom. <laughs> my, my Star Wars fan fiction in my journal. <laughs> oh. Um, 
So one of the trying to get my train of thought back. <laughs> back. <laughs> I'm sorry, it took you on a barrier. No, no, I'm glad. It's good. It's good. I like talking about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously in your in your section with Han was when he gets to meet Leia for the first time. And I laughed at that part because I can imagine how fun it had to be for you to write. Because he goes from being, oh, look, there's this beautiful girl. And oh, and now she's yelling at me and shooting the wall. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I really it felt sort of like watching a puppy be like, oh, what is that thing flying by my nose? Like, I'm going to chase it. And then all of a sudden the bee turns around and stings it on the nose. Or, you know what I mean? Like. I felt like he was like, hey, I could like work my charm on her. And then he was like, nope, 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 not work my charm. <laughs> and it was so funny. And when I was going back through and rereading it, like on those last few passes, I would like catch Han saying something that was like pretty, not like sexist, but just like didn't have the right feel for me. I'm like, I don't want him to be someone who's like putting her down because she's a girl. I want it to be like, a personal, a definite personality clash of yeah. both of them wanting to be in charge of the situation. So like he, in one of the earlier drafts, he had like made some comment about like, you stand over there so you don't get your dress dirty or something like that. And when I, I took that out and I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. Um, but yeah, I, oh my God, I loved writing those two. They were great. <laughs> They're so fun. And then like Luke's kind of in the background being like, Hey, I'm here too. <laughs> it reminds me of the my favorite. I, one of the things I love to do is just watch Mark Hamill's background faces because he makes the best faces. And that scene when they're out of the trash compactor and drawing off, and Luke in the background makes his face like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> it's my favorite face. <laughs> I love Mark Hamill is like so good with the faces. I you know yes. this is like not the point of this scene. But when Vader tells him he's his father, like, just watching that transformation, like, whenever I'm having a bad day, I just, like, laugh. I don't know why. He just, <laughs> it's just such a face that he's making as he's saying it's impossible. It's like an aw- poor guy. Yeah. Sorry, Mark Hamill. But it's, like, so <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, I wish, like, someone needs to do that YouTube super cut of, like, Luke in the background reacting to everything like zoom in I'll do it now I'll do it him laughing him laughing at home with the Ewoks my favorite (laughs) I mean gosh and do you follow Mark Campbell on Twitter he's like such a joy to follow Uh, do I follow Mark that's a silly question I I really like it's making me so happy to see like um, Mark Hamill and um, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher like kind of come back to the fandom and be less. I think they realize that we're not all like crazy weirdos, maybe. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, this is like a huge part of my life and my career, and like these people like genuinely love it. Like maybe. I-, I cried a little bit seeing all three of them on stage together at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, I know. I just like. Again, I'm so worried about Han Solo because, like, why else would Harrison Ford come back? <laughs> Harrison Ford seems a little too happy. What does that mean? Yeah. I know. I was like, does this mean he's done? I don't know. Because I, I, I could work it from so many angles. I'm yeah. hoping not. Someone kind of told me that they're, like, making, still kind of figuring. I feel like they're still editing this movie. Oh, they, yeah, they are. They I have mean, to be. So anything could happen. Maybe he'll, sh- I don't know. Anyway, I know nothing. About I should pref- I should state this right now. I have no insider info beyond that they were eventually going to do a Han Solo, Han Solo film. Movie. 
Oh, I tried. I did try pretty hard, though. Poor people. <laughs> <laughs> Poor people's so Han is so cynical, yet he grows really attached to Luke and Leia very quickly, and he fears losing the people he's close to. What gave you this insight on this particular insight on his character? I sort of went. I mean, I don't necessarily know that it's totally there in the film adaptation, but one of the challenges is to explain why he has such a huge change of heart at the end. And I think the way that I've hopefully set it up is to show that Han really actually does want to be close to people and he does want to be a part of something, but he is afraid of being burned or let down again. Like I sort of make a couple of vague allusions to things that have happened in his past since I can't really go into many details about it. But I think he does, he like finds something with them that he hasn't had either in a very long time or maybe even ever. And he feels like it's something worth protecting. And I think he really does get attached to Luke and he does kind of take on like a big brother role with him. Yeah. But yeah. That scene that you were talking about earlier where he, he like inadvertently and like brings up the sad subject of Luke basically being an orphan and not having anyone left besides Obi-Wan. That was like one of my favorite scenes to write because Han finally got to voice the thing that had bugged me about this all along, which is like, so you like went with this old man who has lived as a hermit in the middle of the desert for 20 years. And you just believed absolutely everything he told you (laughs) without questioning it. You just believed it. And I think that's like, so Luke that Luke was like, yes, I do have the special destiny. My father was a great Jedi Knight. And then in that scene, you see like, he's told, Obi-Wan tells him that the lightsaber is, like, the most powerful weapon. And he, like, points it at his face. Like, yeah, I love Luke. Luke is great. Mark Hamill's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on to the last section. Um, there's a scene with Luke and Leia right after they escape the Death Star before they fight the TIE Fighters. And I really liked it because I think it it also voiced, like you said, something you'd question with Luke and believing Obi-Wan was was Luke Leia comforting Luke and although you know she's just lost her planet so I like that you know he got to be like well you know what am I doing you're the one who's lost more than me and you know Leia has a really great line like loss is loss it doesn't matter and I loved it because it's it's like a brother and sister scene but they don't yeah. know yet yeah <laughs> and it was like my well, favorites <laughs> I really was like I'm gonna avoid as much as humanly possible this weird dynamic of will they have a romantic relationship <laughs> I'm just gonna like not really gonna go down that path as much as I can thank you um <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to confuse the children. Um, yeah, I that was always one of those, I call them like, oh, really, scenes. Like, when I watch the film, I'm like, oh, really, Luke, you're going to cry about losing this old man you've known for six hours. But, like, I will say I do understand because Luke, it's sort of like the next loss after, like, a huge series of losses. So, like, yeah. when Luke loses Obi-Wan, he actually loses the direction he yeah. thought he was taking. It's kind and of like Sirius Black in Harry Potter. Yeah, like. it's exactly like that, where he like has this hope for a little while and he's learning and he, it's like that feeling of like, why didn't I get to complete the training? Like he was actually all that I really did have. Like 
I went with them because I have no other family and there was nothing for me back on the moisture farm, which got torched too. Like, so, and I think he's sort of like lost and feeling very insecure about it. And so Luke's world in, I guess, more of like a metaphorical way has sort of ended. Whereas Leia's has like actually physically gone. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted them to have that conversation on loss to kind of explain why Leia would be like actively comforting this person. She doesn't really know that well. Um, and to have that kind of like nice, thoughtful beat between the two of them and kind of set up their brotherly sisterly dynamics. I do like that dynamic a lot that gets developed that got developed really in the expanded universe. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping we get to see some of that in the new films me too (laughs) (laughs) so many hopes i know (laughs) so the scene with luke in the simulator might have been my favorite scene in the entire book um i i really dug the line uh when you write your autobiography be sure to include that okay i owe everything to wedge antilles (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this scene um was inspired by a scene that exists in the radio drama where i've always sort of like had wondered up until I heard the radio drama, like, did they really just like give this kid an X-wing? Is that is the situation that dire that they like sent out this kid who, in theory, does not have any battle training? Um, so I really like that in the radio drama that showed him actually being tested to make sure he wouldn't just sort of be sent out there to be like Tie Fighter fodder. Um, but it didn't his scene like didn't really work for a modern audience, and I really wanted to bring in Wedge, because I love Wedge. He's one of my favorite characters. Um, And I just, like, I like that they were both, like, two very young pilots and kind of, like, developing that friendship between the two of them. And Luke having that, like, headstrong, oh, I can do this, like, I don't, I'll be fine, whatever. I, you know, shot Womp Rats back at home, you know, like, that (laughs) attitude that he has. Um, Where (laughs) he's like, I just went through one space battle, I can handle all of them. Um, and then Wedge being like, okay. But yeah, Wedge is, I like, I also want to do more with Wedge. I don't know. I th- a lot has been done with Wedge, I should say, but I do like, I have a soft spot for him for whatever. Any, anybody that is listening that has power to make <laughs> this happen. Have Alex Bracken write a Wedge and Leia book. <laughs> yes. Team up. <laughs> um, um, I've always been like, I wonder if there was like ever any flirtation between Wedge and Leia. No. Yes. I would write that. <laughs> I, really, I think, like, maybe. I don't know. There that's didn't what, seem to be that many young people in the rebellion. That's what fanfic is for. Yes. <laughs> I, I have to sidebar now. Did you ever get a chance to read the X-Wing novels? I did, but it's been such a long time. I feel like that's another series I want to go back and reread. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people who deeply, deeply love Wedge had read those books at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah, he just, like, I feel like he just has, like, such a great personality. He's sort of, like, some weird, like, halfway boy between Han and Luke for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Just, like, his role and his demeanor. But I really, for some reason, I thought the, I thought Rogue One was going to be about Wedge. Because isn't Rogue One also the call sign for a Rogue Leader, yes. too? Yes, you, you, yes, we have those same thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Um, I, I yes. have, I have thoughts about, I have, I have premonitions about things they might be doing with Wedge that involve a TV show. <laughs> oh my God, my heart just fluttered inside of my chest. 
<laughs> have you well, read have you read um aftermath yet no that's another one okay. see okay i will say though the only reason i haven't read it is because i thought that it would have more spoilers about the force awakens oh. and oh, Chuck no. Just no 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 you're, you're you're very safe okay there's i will I will dig in. There's a ve- there's a reference very early on with Wedge um, that um, you will understand why why we all think that he's going to show up on Rebels someday. <laughs> Excellent. I'm gonna now just like reach up to my phone and okay. one click. Page fifty two. <laughs> page fifty two. Um, <laughs> but no, I and I loved that scene too because it it because it shows that Luke is learning. You know that he's not afraid to learn from other people, which is a good lesson for kids to learn. Um, yeah. And but also like Luke and Wedge, I like, and this was something too that the expanded universe did a lot that they're best friends, but they don't ever show it in the movies. Like all you see is a hug between them and the, them flying together. But in the expanded universe, they're like best friends, and I liked that you you showed that here. Yeah, I feel like. They really are, like, the youngins in the Rebellion. It's like everyone else is really a veteran, it seems like. Yeah. That's around them, at least, visually. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or not. I guess Biggs kind of comes into it, but... Biggs is, Biggs is also older than Luke, isn't he? I think he's a few years old. Yeah, I think I think Wedge is supposed to be, like, a year or two older than Luke, and, and Biggs is, like, a few years older than that. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, Wedge just... I had the best time with that and it was like some other I think in the radio drama it was maybe just like some battle-hardened tech guy who was like here get in we'll run the simulation and I was like no this is my this is my opportunity to bring Wedge into the story in a real way <laughs> it's like I'm doing it for you Wedge um I'm sorry it was like such a shameless <laughs> fan girl moment um, but what, yeah, what is like so interesting and you're right. They really are established as having this close relationship and you can kind of like sense that when they're talking to each other too, like in battles and they're like communicating, they have like a easygoing, like back and forth with each other, but then you don't ever really get to see that relationship develop. So I think, yeah. Oh my God. I'd be so excited if we got some TV wedge. I'd be that. <laughs> hear that Jay Filoni <laughs> yeah. make it happen <laughs> I'm gonna go like light a candle say a prayer <laughs> light a candle at my wedge shrine yeah. you have one too <laughs> don't all girls <laughs> oh, sorry I'm taking this to such a weird place no that's our show <laughs> that's what we do uh, we've gone on off on wedge tangents so many times so yeah nothing new are, here I, so so I'll, I'll sidebar and tell a story about when um, I when they first released the blurb about Aftermath. So a bunch of people had been hypothesizing that Wedge was going to be in it, but they hadn't said anything yet, like, officially. So I saw the StarWars.com tweet the an article, something about, like, Journey to the Force Awakens. And so I clicked on it really fast because I thought, oh my God, is there something about Aftermath in here? 
So I was in the and I was in the garage doing laundry, and I'm 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 skimming as fast as I can to look for the name Wedge Antilles, <laughs> and I'm reading it, and I see the blurb where it says Wedge Antilles, and I start screaming, <laughs> jumping up and down, and I'm like, Brian, come in here, come in here, and he's looking at me like he thinks I'm dying, and I start screaming, Wedge is an aftermath, Wedge is an aftermath, <laughs> and he just was like. What? What? <laughs> and then we and started. Anyone, anyone passing the garage thought you were being murdered, yeah. basically. And then we started jumping up and down and screaming and cheering. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are my people. <laughs> okay, now I'm definitely going to read it. I have to decide now between start with Lost Stars or Aftermath. Um, I, I, for you, I do Lost Stars first because it's really okay. fast. It's really fast to read. Okay, good. I have a beautiful, shiny hardcover to read. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. I finally, I've like kind of known Claudia on and off over the years just from being on the same circuit um, on the YA world. And I have a panel with her um, later in the year. I can't wait to tell her how much I like her books. I'm already anticipating I'm going to be obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like pretty easy to, for me to be obsessed with Star Wars things, as you can probably tell. Yes. Um, and one of the other reasons I liked that scene so much with the simulator is because it kind of showed why they put Luke in charge later on. <laughs> and it's not just like, oh, this farm boy is here. And uh, why? I, I, I've seen so many conversations about that on the internet. Like, why do they put Luke in charge? And I, I, it had, I mean, he had the best score. So obviously they would. Yeah, he was just like, they all thought he was a little prodigy. Not that he was cheating with the force. <laughs> I guess it's not cheating if it's part of you. And you yeah. realize well, he it, didn't but... really know. He wasn't that great. Yeah. yeah, not yet. Yeah, <laughs> he, I mean, I really love obviously being a Shadows of the Empire fan girl. Like, I love those like periods between the films because you don't really realize how much time has passed. So it seems like everything is happening like pretty back to back, but it's not actually the case. So yeah, yeah it's kind of cool to think that there is still so much room to play within the original films. I'm like, I am actually very excited for Rogue One. I was like, yeah. I did not even know I wanted a film about how the Death Star <laughs> plans were stolen. But I will tell you, when I was like reading through the A New Hope radio drama script, like for the 10th time, the stuff like about how Leia like got the tapes and then like how they were beamed to her, it was like very confusing. I'm kind of hoping for something that's a little more streamlined. That's why I yeah. didn't end up using any of that material because I was like, this is going to be like, too boring for the kids to try to follow how she got the data tapes um but it sounds like it's going to be kind of like a gritty war film yeah it's interesting that we're going to get so many different like tones storytelling wise i'm kind of excited to see that yeah me too and it, I, I i hope it i hope it kind of resembles like the x-wing books and kind of a military feel yeah oh and also speaking of X-Wing Pilots, can we we thank you for um, putting Garvin Drees' name back in uh, Star Wars canon Red Leader. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that we notice. <laughs> I am very happy I got to do that for you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, I like went for it. I was like, they will rein me in if I 
step too far well, out of bounds. I, I, I've always said that, you know, if I ever got to write a Star Wars novel or so, and they, they would be like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. And I'd be like, but, but, what, but, but, okay. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I basically function under the philosophy of like, well, I'm going to use all of this accumulated data that I have now in my head from reading the expanded universe over the years. And if I guess it's canon until proven otherwise. Yeah. And I mean, it's got to inform how you write about it. Cause like we asked, um, I interviewed, Chuck Wendig at Dragon Con and you know a lot of people asked about uh you know if he'd read the X-Wing series and you know there wasn't a lot of you know references to Wedge's backstory but you know he said it obviously how he thinks about Wedge came from those books because that's where you got all of Wedge's personality so yeah I mean I definitely understand I remember my heart feeling like my heart was sinking in my chest when they said that they were going to do the new films and they had nothing to do with the expanded universe. And I understand why a lot of people were very upset about the perceived loss of them. Um, But I think because you just invest so much time and energy and love into all of these stories and all of these characters and they're like, they inform your understanding of not only the Star Wars universe, but even like going back and watching the original films, they kind of change how you view those films so I definitely understand why people were upset and I'm still a little surprised about what ended up happening with Chuck's book. Like we probably won't get into it just in <laughs> terms of like the fan yeah. or the reader campaign, like the one star campaign that that's not in the spirit of Star Wars. Yeah. We, we might've railed on that topic last week. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can understand being disappointed, but it's, it's one thing to critically review a book because the style or the voice doesn't work for you or you just didn't like the book in general or whatever, but like things people are picking out to complain about are not awesome. So um, I am living in the light of hope. I I, feel like I want to believe the new films are going to be great and I'm going to believe that until I see them and just like I feel like we're in a really exciting time, don't you guys? Like yeah. it's so much new stuff. It's like give me give me everything. Like give me the new films, give me the new novels, like give me these new characters to kind of pick apart and analyze and see where their stories are going. So I'm excited. I hope everyone is also excited. <laughs> but I know yeah. some people are very they feel they felt like very burned by the prequels. Um so hopefully Hopefully we're back on track. Yeah. Uh, so if you could write about any character <laughs> in any time period of Star Wars, assume I'm handing you a blank contract here, what would it be? Well, obviously we know Leia and Wedge. They're going to team up and be awesome. Be the yeah. Best yeah. Cop movie yeah. Ever. <laughs> Wedge and Leia taking care of business. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to go write that fanfic now. <laughs> Please do. Um, let's see. I I mentioned, because, I mean, it was very nice. They were, when we went out to dinner with the story, some of the story group people and the um, just the Lucasfilm editorial people, we were kind of talking about different ideas and whatnot. And I had mentioned to them that I really wanted more on Padme. Like, I really wanted to see Padme outside of her relationship with Anakin. Like, even Padme as a young senator, I think, would be interesting. Yes. Um, and I know that there have been a couple of books. I don't think I've actually read them about that time period in her life. But I think 
you know, more Padme is like definitely called for. I think it can her character can only get better the more you know about her. Um, I mean, in a in a perfect world, I would get to write about young Mara Jade, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Only in my fan fiction will that happen. And hey. plus, I already got to sort of see it, but I think like she is sort of. I hate. I mean. I don't hate to say this. This is actually true. She's like kind of the perfect YA heroine. Like I was hoping she would get like a spinoff film because that is like very much on the pulse of what is working in young adult fiction and mm-hmm. all of that. And I think she's just an awesome character, but yeah, I don't know. I definitely, I think Leia is so my girl that I would love to do anything with her. <laughs> I would love to do anything with young Han Solo I feel, like, attached to him now. I, honestly, I am, like, up for anything. I know that sounds terrible, but I'm, like, I'll do it. Like, let me try. I'll try. Now that I've broken through my initial, like, oh, my God. I can't believe I have to do this. Everyone's going to hate this book. Here. <laughs> no, everyone loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I was, I mean, that's, I really almost said no when they offered this project because I was so nervous. I was, like, so worried about not doing a good enough job as a Star Wars fan. And then I got, like, very possessive and was like, well, I don't want anyone else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, love it, obviously, one out. But, like, at the same time, I was very, very – I had to, like – I actually hand-wrote this book out completely and then transferred it over and typed it up because I was that nervous and it mm. somehow felt, like, less pressure to write it out by hand. That's crazy. I, I know. I was crazy for, like – the few weeks and months that I was working on this book, I was like a basket case. If you saw me Aww. in coffee bean, you would have been like, someone bring that girl a latte. <laughs> no, don't. Don't give her any more caffeine. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about The Force Awakens and like things we're like we're looking forward to seeing. But what are you what are you looking for? forward to most and like if you could have any like your dreams for this movie like you know we've talked a lot about things we we die to see happen and even if even if you don't think it's gonna happen or you do like what would you love to see oh my gosh so many so many things I mean I I just want like a very what I want more than anything is to have characters that I like and root for. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I felt like that was one of the aspects that was missing for me with the prequels, with the exception of Obi-Wan. Like I just was sort of like, and Padme to a certain extent, but I was like, I feel like I don't really know you guys. Like I want to like have a sense of who you are and I want to root for you the way that I rooted for Han, Luke and Leia. I don't want it to feel like, um, like a nostalgia tour. I don't want it to feel like um, it's basically just a carbon copy with like details changed. Do you know what I mean? It's another like desert planet, but it's not Tatooine. Like I want, I want it to like feel original, but feel familiar. And I want, I hope that the original cast aren't just like cameos. I really want them to have good, meaty parts. I want some Han and Leia interaction. I'm like terrified they're like not together in the film. And like, maybe that's the plot point that they're like coming back together. And I'm like, no, they have to have been together. Their love is all. I want to see Han or Luke and Leia interaction. Like, yeah, I have so many wishes. Like, what are you hoping for specifically? Ray Skywalker. It's all I want in life. <laughs> oh. I know, 
well, I can't tell if, I, like, feel like with all of the marketing, I'm like, is she predisposed to the force? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, everyone is, like, saying she's a solo, but I, I want her, I, I, I really want her to be a Skywalker. I just, because I've always wanted Luke to have kids, and, like, I feel like him with a daughter would just, like, make me die. And <laughs> when, I mean, Luke is, like, the best dad ever, right? Yes! Well, at some for some well, points. yeah. When yeah. the when when the when the editorial group wanted to let him be a dad and not be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that, I haven't even thought about that. I've just been like so sure that she's a solo somehow. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh my gosh, I want like a good. Um, I want a good romance. It doesn't have to be the main point of the film, obviously, but I do want like a nice little undercurrent but more than anything I want that element of found family and like friendship and team like a team coming together yeah um so I'm hopeful (laughs) we'll see I'm really I am really excited about it and I can't believe how soon it's coming out (gasps) I know Oh, I like we're two my and a half bra- months, right? Yeah, I know. I feel oh. like my brain is gonna explode, and they haven't even done like a like a f- full length trailer, right? Oh, I think that's crazy. probably coming in October. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We're gonna. I'm like, what? Where am I gonna be? I'm like, I'll be at home in Arizona, which is kind of nice. I'll be at home in Arizona, and I can go see it with my mom and my sister and my brother. Oh, that's um, nice. I know. I'm like the one thing that makes everything so bittersweet is that my dad isn't here because he would be so excited yeah. about everything that was happening, and I really missed him at this past um, celebration. And but I, I don't know. I like to think that he has like front row seats whenever he wants to go to something. Just, yeah, like, that's the power of the force. Basically, he can be anywhere and everywhere. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm living in the light of hope. (laughs) I would rather like not be at all jaded going into it or go into it with any expectations. I want to like experience the full range of emotion. And that's weird for me because I'm definitely a spoiler hound. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so moving on from Star Wars, you had um, a series of books published before the Darkest Minds trilogy, and for Star Wars fans who are just now getting introduced to your work, uh, could you talk a little bit about that series and uh, kind of describe it for people who might want to be checking out your other work? Yeah, so the Darkest Mind series is a trilogy. It actually just wrapped up um, last fall, but the basic elevator pitch I give is like kids with crazy powers of the mind on the run from a dystopian government. Someone pitched it to me once as like, um, I was like, stand by me meets X-Men. Um, Ooh, in the I'm sense sold. that, Yeah. So the basic premise is that all of a sudden over the course of a couple of years, like 98% of the children in America are affected by this, what they think is like a virus or a disease that, kills off most of the population, but leaves the survivors with these insane, like telekinetic abilities, basically. And some can control fire, some can control electricity, some can just have just straightforward, um, um, tele, tele, ah, gosh, I can't talk. I'm getting tongue tied. (laughs) Oh, anyway, the main character, Ruby, um, has the ability to actually go in and affect people's memories and their feelings and kind of like really get in. It's a very like dangerous thing to have, obviously, and she cannot control it very well when the series first starts off. 
but because they think it's some sort of virus or some sort of crazy disease that can be spread, they initially put these ki- these survivors into what they call rehabilitation camps um, in the like with the idea that they're basically quarantined and then they decide to keep them there to control them and make sure they're not running amok. And meanwhile, they're telling the parents and the rest of the world, like, oh, we're developing a cure, we're figuring out the cause, and so on and so forth. And the story, the trilogy really starts when Ruby is broken out by kind of a rebel group, and she goes on the run and meets up with other kids who are escapees. So again, my love of found families and teamwork, friendship. Um, And they she ends up becoming sort of like a resistance figure until they get the whole thing sorted out. So it... It's definitely it's exciting it's I hope emotional I think people I think people like it um but yeah that's that's completely done now and I have a couple of I have novellas that take place between between each of the novels it's I have a bind up coming out next week actually so it's been a busy couple weeks for me oh, cool yeah. and you have another book coming out uh in a few months called passenger yes passenger comes out in January it is my time travel adventure romance for as I call it my like you can have it all history and fantasy adventure <laughs> and romance I was like I'm going for it <laughs> everything um I put my quick pitch for it is that it's sort of like a um a treasure hunt that spans centuries and continents and the main character Etta is like a modern New York teen who kind of gets thrust against her will into this world of time travelers, and she's forced to track down this rare artifact. And her traveling companion is a privateer from the 18th century. He's a gentleman, um, but he's also a time traveler too. And they kind of go on this adventure together across centuries and end up all across the world. So I'm really excited. It comes out January 5th. It's very different from The Darkest Minds, but I like to do something different each time. So can't wait to see what people think of it. Cool. And um, so we have to ask, because uh, we have two dogs, how is your dog doing? My little dog, Tennyson, is very good. He, I think, actually passed out in his crate. I put him in there, <laughs> as I was telling you guys earlier, because his favorite thing in the world now, I think he's like part forest critter, is to go out into the yard and just like bring in mountains of leaves and he like eats some of them and then some of them he just collects into piles and like breaks up sticks i think he's building himself a nest Aww. i like he is he's adorable he he's is a handful he uh, yeah he basically i go back and forth between being like you're a baby ewok or you're a baby wookie but I think you were the one who said he sounds like a like a tauntaun. Yes, I've yes. never heard a dog make noises like this before. He's just like Aah. anytime he's like unhappy or when he has to be bothered to itch himself. It's like Aah. our dog makes those noises too, and it's, it's but it's really a little funnier sense. because our dog weighs fifty pounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mine is currently only five pounds. He's four months old. He's just like a little ball of fluff. He gets he gets like catcalled when we go out on walks. It's kind of <laughs> I have literally had a woman drive by us as we were walking and then reverse her car on like a somewhat busy street and roll down her window and go, "Oh puppy, you're a cute puppy. Oh puppy, you having a fun walk?" Like I'm not even standing right there. I'm like you have fun, puppy. You have a good walk, and then just drove off. I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> I've had 
I like bring him to places and it I like try to have other people hold him to kind of help with the socialization. And one woman literally tried to walk off with him. So now I'm like too scared to do it. He really is like a cute, sweet dog. My little forest. Cute. I hope he gets more um, acclimated with other dogs. Because I saw yes. that he was having trouble. Yeah. So I call him the little lordling because he's named after Alfred Lord Tennyson. Because, of course, I'm an English major. <laughs> Cannot resist. <laughs> I have no impulse control anymore, apparently. Um, so little Ten-Ten here. We've been going to puppy parties, which I was too scared to bring him to these when he was younger, which I think actually would have helped. When he was younger, he was only two pounds. And oh other dogs, when they would see him, would be like, that's my new squeaky toy. Yeah. So, like, I was very protective of him when he, until he got a little sturdier. Um, but we go to these puppy parties, and it's like, these adorable puppies of like every dog breed imaginable. There's usually like 10 of them. And I put him down and he will try to climb my leg to get away from the other puppies. He's like, I don't want to interact with the pleads. I don't want to like, no, no, not the commoners. Please take me away from the other puppies. And then <laughs> this last time we went on Saturday, he just sat under my chair the whole time. And then when he, when other dogs came by to be like, hey, what's up? He, like, would run out and then go to the nearest stranger's leg and try to climb their legs. Aww. Like, he's like, my mom won't protect me, so you have to do it. And he's Aww. just so, he's so cute and so pitiful. But he's going to another, <laughs> I'm the meanest mom ever. I'm making him go to another puppy party. <laughs> With the dogs and puppies. And there's, like, a little pug puppy that's actually his size, so fingers crossed oh, that makes me wish we lived closer because i th i would think it would be hilarious to see what our dogs would do with a dog that little <laughs> i know it's like sometimes we pass these dogs who look like they weigh 90 pounds on the street and i'm like how are you guys the same species yeah. like it's crazy he's just a little guy so he'll get a little bigger but he'll stay pretty tiny forever yeah. hopefully <laughs> we're working on building his confidence so <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've read so many. This is the other reason I'm behind on all of my Star Wars reading. I just keep reading dog training books. <laughs> like the nurturing way. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's kind of settling in. I I'm like a crazy dog mom and I haven't really wanted to put him in the kennel when I've had to do a little traveling yet because he was he's only recently been fully vaccinated. So I've been like flying my mom out from Arizona to stay with him. <laughs> I just like, well, yeah, once he's, I think, a little older and he can like stay at an actual boarding facility, but <laughs> it's actually somewhat cheaper to fly my mom out and buy her ticket than to put him in like a nice boarding place. It's yeah. Just, it's crazy. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We understand. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had a great time chatting with you. Yeah. And, uh, thank you having me Could you let I'm, people know where to find you online yes you can find me on twitter at alex bracken and i'm also on tumblr alexandra bracken.tumblr.com or you can just find me on alexandra bracken.com cool very cool well thank you again so much for coming on thanks guys and we're back once again. Thanks so much to Alex Bracken for coming on the show. We had a great time, and that was probably our favorite interview we've done. I, that was the most fun I've I've had doing yeah. an, inter and an no, interview. And no, no offense to any of the other people we've interviewed, because we, all of our interviews are great. Yeah, but that was just a lot of fun. Yeah, it it was like talking to a friend about Star Wars. Well, 
what 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 can you what more can you ask for? Right. It was exactly. great. Uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and sign off here, and we will see again. The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy. Great book. Go get it. Definitely go get it. Uh, so we'll go ahead and sign off here. This episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by Her Universe and your support at Patreon. Uh, you can find us with the handles uh, or with the Twitter handles Tashi underscore Station. That's the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. On Facebook, we are the Tashi Station Network. Uh, we're available on the iTunes Store and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please do leave a review. It helps us grow the show. Uh, you can find our columns and news at Tashi station.net uh stay tuned uh we're working out some schedule stuff now but we got some really cool stuff coming down the pipe yes all right we'll see y'all soon bye-bye bye this podcast has been brought to you by majestic draft productions and is the official podcast of tashistation.net all star wars names music and logos are property of their respective trademark and copyright holders tashi station radio is not endorsed by lucasfilm or any division of the company now go pick up some power converters Oh,